If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd invite you to turn with me to a couple of texts. The first is in 1 Samuel, the second chapter. Um, if you're a guest with us today, beginning back in October, we've been journeying through the scripture at about the rate of about three chapters a day, um, the story that changes everything. And this last week, we entered into 1 Samuel, and I, there's so much that's good about 1 Samuel. But this morning, I want to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, but I also want to um, read another text uh, that, that is appropriate, not only for today, but it's, it's a text that is connected to it, and it's in Luke, the first chapter. And so I'm going to allow you to stay seated this morning, but I, I want to read 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, and then we're going to flip over to Luke, the first chapter, and start at verse 46. Here's 1 Samuel. Then Hannah prayed, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My strength rises up in the Lord. My mouth mocks my enemies because I rejoice in your deliverance. No one is holy like the Lord. No, no one except you. There is no rock like our God. Don't go on and on talking so proudly, spouting arrogance from your mouth because the Lord is the God who knows and he weighs every act. The bows of mighty warriors are shattered, but those who are stumbling now dress themselves in power. Those who are filled full now sell themselves for bread, but the ones who are starving are now fat from food. The woman was who was barren has birthed seven children, but the mother with many sons has lost them all. The Lord, he brings death, gives life, takes down to the grave and raises up. The Lord, he makes poor, gives wealth, brings low, but also lifts up high. God raises the poor from the dust, lifts up the needy from the garbage pile. God sits them with officials, gives them the seats of honor. The pillars of the earth belong to the Lord. He set the world on top of them. God guards the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked die in darkness because no one succeeds by strength alone. The Lord, his enemies are terrified. God thunders against them from heaven. The Lord, he judges the far corners of the earth. May God give strength to his king and raise high the strength of his anointed one. And now Luke, the first chapter, beginning at verse 46. Mary said, With all my heart I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and set, sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it is good to see you this morning. Merry Christmas. I, I'm tired this morning. I didn't sleep very well. Um, some of it had to do with waking up and being worried about the roads this morning and wondering, are we going to have church today or not? And 
a bunch of us on staff were texting each other furiously trying to make a decision. Finally, um, I texted my friend uh, Brian, the pastor over at Nampa First Church, and said, are you guys having church this morning? He said, yeah, we're going to still have church. And I thought, well, we can't wimp out. Uh, we're not going to let them beat us. Um, but part of me, as I thought about the, the chance that we might not meet today, um, was really disappointed because it's so unique for Christmas to fall on a Sunday. Uh, it's been a number of years since it's happened. And by the way, it won't happen again for 11 more years. So uh, we won't, we'll, see how, we'll see how Christian the church is in 11 years and whether we, we meet on Sunday. But all right. <laughs> um, but most of my sleep deprivation actually came from, I have, I have pre and post sermon anxiety. Um, it's the best and worst part of my vocation. I love these moments. I probably I delight as much in this as much as anything. I love to get to preach uh, from the word. And I love even what we're doing uh, this year to kind of discover new places in the word and to preach from them. But I have to say, I have all sorts of regrets later, and I'm kind of cranky for about 24 hours afterwards, thinking about, ah, oh, I shouldn't have said that, or I should have said that, or I, I just talked too long and too much. Um, and so I, last night, I, I really struggled, because I worked really hard on my Christmas Eve sermon, but I know that the only thing people will remember about last night was how unbelievably cute the sheep were, uh, how precious baby Jesus was. <laughs> How great the orchestra was last night, Ryan. And truly, I, you know, I kind of preached my heart out, and the only thing people said to me was, that was really good, oh, holy night. I look forward to it every year. Um, so some of you know, I have this deep love-hate relationship with music as a preacher. Um, I, I joke often that when I visit people in their hospital rooms, especially when they can sense it's possible that they may be going to heaven, I've never had a single person say to me when I walk in, oh, pastor, I'm so glad you're here. We were hoping to get one more sermon from you before we entered the pearly gates. But instead, people always want to sing. They want to sing the, the hymns of the church, the songs that have meant so much to them. They just want to sing. Ugh. So I thought I'd preach this morning on two songs from the scripture um, and make peace with it. Uh, <laughs> So the two texts I read, if you noticed in your scripture, they're indented, which means that scholars are pretty sure that they're songs or poems. And in these cases, case, they're likely two songs. And the reason I read both of them is because they're deeply connected to one another. In fact, their themes are very similar. They express many of the same concerns. Now, not to be too scholarly today, but it's not likely that either woman wrote the particular song. In fact, if they did, uh, it would turn the Bible into a, a kind of musical theater where uh, Mary breaks into song or Hannah. Yeah, anyway, uh, I don't. Thanks, Ryan, for laughing. I, uh, I get tickled at the thought of that. But, um, but it's likely that both in Hannah's case and in Mary's case, that these were hymns or poems, songs written later by God's people with both Hannah and Mary in mind. And with their journeys and what God did in and through them. But how what God did in and through both Hannah and Mary. So connected to what God's people were going through. That they began to sing about how what God had done for them 
for those two great women God was now doing for them. And this morning, as we think about these, these two songs in particular, there are three themes that, that run through both of them. And they're very quickly just these. That when God acts, God acts in ways that bring down the exalted, that lift up the lowly, and that remind us that God always keeps his promises. That in both songs, they sing about how God brings down the mighty, exalts the lowly, but most of all, God keeps his promises. In Hannah's case, her song is really deeply personal, and, and what God did in her life was really personal. If, if you've been reading with us, you know it's, it's really a sad story. The, uh, Samuel opens up, and you have Elkanah and Hannah, this husband and wife, and, and Hannah, like some of her ancestors, is barren and unable to have a child and is lamenting that. And likely because of Hannah's barrenness, Elkanah took on a secondary wife, Penina, who apparently was just able to have children without even thinking about it too much. And she has all these children, and rather than feeling sorry for Hannah, it becomes a source of division and dissension among them. Elkanah feels bad. He, he talks to Hannah. He, he, he tries to identify with her, but when you read the text, it's clear that Elkanah loves her, but he doesn't understand her. And Penina, who understands her, doesn't love her. And so poor Hannah is isolated and sad, and she goes to the temple, and she prays, or she goes to the tabernacle, and she prays, and as she's praying, Eli's sure that she is drunk, and says to her, hey, lady, go drink somewhere else. And she says, I'm not drunk, I'm just sad. And Eli blesses her, and this song really comes out of this idea that God is going to bless her and she is going to have a child. And, but more than just easing her pain or overcoming her sadness, this child will be a blessing. And so she, as she sings about it, as it happens in her life, truly it does bring down the mighty. And, and I can't help but read that song in Second Samuel or in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and think about um, Penina. Some of this has to do with putting Penina in her place for all the bad things she has said to Hannah. But it's more than that. It's God's people understand this as all of those people who have oppressed them. God, God will act in their favor. But those who are humble, those who are on the margins, those, those who need God to act, God hears their cries because God keeps his promises. And in this case, that promise will come in the form of a son named Samuel. First Samuel transitions in many ways from the book of Judges. And, and the book of Judges is just a mess. People are rotten. God's kind of frustrated with them. And 1 Samuel opens this way, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. But this child that Hannah bears has this name that means God hears. God hears. And not only will God hear Hannah's cry, but this child that she has will hear God's voice. And God's word will no longer be rare, but will break into reality Mary doesn't quite, at least as far as we know, have the kind of personal story that Hannah had, but, but certainly God's people and we still see ourselves in her story. As Brent mentioned today, even when Christ came into the world, the people were still exiled, pushed around by Rome. They were not free. But Mary sings about how God 
has not forgotten them. And God will move to eliminate oppression, exalt those who are hurting, and through her son, God will keep his promises and all things will be made new. That there is a hope of a new creation. And we don't just know this. And, and here's, here's why I'm okay with music being better than preaching. It's because week after week, I pour my heart out to you and you won't remember it. And between you and me, I don't either. But most of what we know about God doesn't necessarily even come through our head in ideas. But the beauty of singing about the one who brings down the mighty and exalts the lowly and keeps his promise, what's so wonderful about singing that is that the music of faith, the music of the church gets into our bones. It's the theology that seeps down in us and we can't seem to get rid of it. It's why when we know that we're getting close to the end of life, it's the theology that emerges out of us. It's why we want to sing because it's what we know at the deepest part of our being. And so these women sing about the possibility of God making all things new. And that got me thinking about the music of this season and its popularity and why we spend a solid month playing all these songs over and over again. How important it is to know that we're rocking around the Christmas tree. I've never roasted chestnuts on an open fire. But I want to sing about it year after year. Um, no, but what is it about this, the music of the season that gets down into our bones? And so I was thinking this week about, about our Advent and Christmas hymns. And I was going through them and, and reading all the verses, even those that we tend to not sing. There's a Christmas hymn that we've sung several times already in the last few weeks that I, I deeply love, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This week, if you've been paying attention to the news, even in the midst of the season, we have seen violence again in our world. Shootings. Our hearts grieve with the people of Ukraine and you saw President Zelensky in his speech this week to Congress. And so many other places in our world that are still ravaged by war and conflict. And it doesn't seem to matter if it's Christmas Day, the fighting still goes on. But we sing this season not only about Christ as the Prince of Peace, but, but of our need to be instruments of peace in the world. The fourth verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel says this, O come, desire of nations bind, all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. And this great line, fill the whole world with heaven's peace. I think you probably know that. Would you sing it with me? Oh, come, desire of nations, all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease. Fill the
that hymn is not about how envy, strife, and quarrels have ceased. But it is a hymn of hope that they can cease because Emmanuel is among us and in us and invites us to be instruments of peace. I don't know if I've ever noticed or even sung the second verse of It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. Um, It's a great hymn about the angel host. Here's the second verse. Still through the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled and still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains, they bend on hovering wing. And this is the line I love. And ever o'er its babble sounds, the blessed angels sing. You didn't laugh at that, but I think it's a great line. And ever o'er its babble sounds, the blessed angels sing. If there is a line that represents the noise in our world, the chaos in our world, the silliness and sometimes just stupidness in our world, it's babble sounds. And yet the gospel proclaimed by God's messengers proclaims good news or all the babble sounds of our world. The third verse says, and ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful step and slow, look up for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. I love that verse. For those who are here today, or watching online who are beneath life's crushing load, who find their form bending low. God keeps his promises. And the word of God is an invitation to rest. You know, I like a little town of Bethlehem, especially the line that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. But the third and fourth verses go like this. Sing them with me if you know them. Um, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. I got to figure out how to sing it. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear, no ear may But in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him soon, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. Abide with us, our Lord. 
tune of that so beautiful, I think we sometimes miss what we're singing. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We gather not just to celebrate the one who was born centuries ago, but the one who is born anew in us day after day after day. I love, between you and me, I love getting to sing a holy night. Um, I fear I only have a couple more years with that range left, but we'll see. Um, But I don't like that Ryan always gets to sing the good verse. Um, You know it, sing it with me. Truly he taught to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Think about this line. Change shall he break, for the slave is our Every time we sing that, we join with Hannah and with Mary in the hopes that God would set things right in the world. That he would break chains in all their forms. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. This morning, it's right that we end with joy to the world. There is, in the words of that great hymn, perhaps my favorite theological conviction. If you're a regular here, you can, you can probably finish my sentences in just a moment. We are not a people who are simply waiting for the new creation to come. But because of the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that which was to come, the new creation, has now broken into the middle. And now there is this interesting logic to the way that we keep time. You know, in the Roman calendar, December the 25th was held to be the longest night of the year. This week it was a different day than that, but... In the Roman calendar, it was always marked as December 25th. And so we're in this moment where darkness seems to be winning all around us. 
but not anymore. <laughs> For because Christ has come, as we move forward each day, little by little, the light's going to begin to win. And the wonderful thing about living in Idaho is in a few months, it's going to be unnaturally light for a long time. I remember when we first moved here, we went to a movie and we came out at about 9 or 9.30 and it was still light outside. And Noah looked at us and said, where in the world have we moved? What strange land is the, of light is this? But we keep time this way on purpose so that we can be reminded of these words, no more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. For he comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found, for as the curse is found, for as the curse is found. And we sing joy to the world because the Lord has come and the curse has been broken and is being broken. And we are a people living into that light. And I know you won't remember this sermon and that's okay. Because hopefully the songs of this season will seep down into your bones so that the deepest part of your being, you will know that sin and sorrow do not have the last word, but grace and the joy of Christ have the final word. For in Christ, the curse is broken. And God's people said, amen. God, help us today as we sing this great hymn. May at the deepest part of our being, may we know that you have come and you are being born in us. And being born in us is more than just a feeling. It really is a, a new reality in which all of those places of oppression and brokenness you are tearing down, all of those who are hurting and sad and crying out to you are being heard. And around us and in us and through us, you are keeping your promises. And we recognize today that that makes a nice sermon. But more than anything, that makes amazing hymns. Songs of a new creation that get deep down into our bones and change who we are. And so we rightly love the songs of the season that remind us that that your peace has come, that your hope has come, that your joy has come, that your love has come. And so we give you thanks for this great and holy day where hope has broken into our midst. And so may we be instruments of your new creation today. Thanks for a chance to be together, not just with our, our families, but thanks for a chance today despite the elements, to be together online and in person, connected to this family that you are forming. And so we give you praise today for this people that you are helping us to become. And as we enter into a new year, may you continue to allow the light to break in and through us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's celebrate together.
Amen. Well, Merry Christmas to you. Um, thanks again for being with us both online and here today. Um, if you've listened well, I, there's one part of my theology I'd like to correct before we go. So we are in this time where the days are short and the nights are really long. And as we keep time, we'll move forward. And, and what's lovely is as we get to Lent and then Easter, all of this kind of iciness and all of this kind of deathliness around us will begin to disappear and things will bloom and bud and it'll be really wonderful and a reminder that, that new life breaks in. And the days will get longer and longer. The part of my theology I'd like to correct is the nice thing about the way this seems to work is that there's a kind of nice mathematical trajectory to the ways that light begins to win over the next few months. I'm not sure that's how that happens in the kingdom of God. My sense is that God continues to work and make all things new, but there are these moments that feel like we've taken a few steps back and then all of a sudden the presence of Christ breaks in and something, and then it's, you know, it just feels like these moments where I think darkness won today. If you've listened well, we are a people who at the deepest part of our bones know that Christ has come hope is coming, and life is coming, and newness is coming. And as hard as that is to, to believe at times, um, in the deepest part of our being, we are convinced that he is making all things new. And that's why this benediction is for us this morning. And now unto him who by that power at work within us is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, to him be glory in us, his church, but most of all in his Son, the one who has come, Christ Jesus our Lord, now and for all generations. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in his peace. Merry Christmas. That was awesome.